following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Okay. Um, I, I forgot, and it would be I would be remiss to forget continuing uh, to mention. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, I had the great privilege of um, officiating a wedding over in Parsonsfield, Maine, um, for Ben and Danielle Eldridge. Um, so, great local family. So, um, just want to add them to our prayer list to continue. Um, uh, for God's grace to shine on them and their new marriage and that they would uh, seek the Lord um, <clears throat> together now as a family. So uh, so we are returning in our study of the Gospel of Luke this morning. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Uh, we're going to look at verses 27 through 32, and that's on page <clears throat> 861 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Luke chapter 5. So we're going to read that, and then uh, we'll pray and dive right in. So Luke 5.27. After this, uh, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your great love for us. We are grateful for your marvelous infinite, matchless grace. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would guide us through your word this morning. These are your words, and the meaning is yours. Your word is always going to mean what it has always meant and never mean what it never meant. Lord, we pray that you would help us to discover that meaning and that you would help us apply these principles to our lives because the application is infinite. So, Lord, again, we give you this time for your glory and our good. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last few weeks, we have been looking at Luke chapter 5, and Luke has outlined several miracles or miraculous signs uh, in each one of those studies. We looked at the miraculous catch of fish, uh, which for some of us, catching a fish is miraculous. Um, we, uh, uh, Peter and his friends had fished all night long and caught nothing. Uh, but, uh, Jesus said, go out into the deep and cast your nets for a catch. We looked at Jesus miraculous cleansing of a man full of leprosy. And last week we looked at Jesus healing a man who was paralyzed, um, who was lowered through the roof by his four friends to see Jesus. And I have to wonder if, if that isn't how that poor guy got paralyzed in the first place is hang out with those (laughs) friends willing to dump him through a roof. Um, Anyway, (laughs) 
<laughs> so today we're going to look at a fifth miracle in Luke chapter 5. Did you see the miracle when we read the passage? Well, first let's define our terms so that we know we're looking for the same thing. Easton's Bible Dictionary defines the word miracle in this way. It says, a miracle is an event in the external world brought about by the immediate agency or the simple volition of God, operating without the use of means capable of being discerned by the senses and designed to authenticate the divine commission of a religious teacher and the truth of his message. It is an occurrence at once above nature and above man. It shows the intervention of a power that is not limited by the laws either of matter or of mind, a power interrupting the fixed laws which govern their movements, a supernatural power. You can kind of see the difference between uh, Easton's Bible Dictionary and Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> a, little, uh, a little fuller meaning there. Well, this definition uh, that's been given uh, clearly covers the catch of fish, the miraculous catch. It clearly covers the cleansing of a leper, and it clearly covers the healing of the paralytic. But where is the miracle in our passage this morning? The miracle is in the calling of Levi. Levi was a tax collector. Some translations say publican. Um, maybe you've heard that phrase before. And in the Jewish culture at, time, at that time, the term publican or tax collector and sinner were synonymous. Now, I always have to be very careful whenever preaching on passages that have to do with tax collectors because my mom was a tax collector for 25 years and she watches uh, these services. So um, I have to be very careful about that. She's a reformed tax collector. Yeah. <laughs> she knew Jesus the whole time. But um, so <laughs> Levi's stories are is a little bit different. Levi is a Jewish man employed by the Romans. Uh, we can't forget uh, the tension that exists uh, that existed there in that culture at that time. Uh, the Romans were the oppressive, invading rulers of the Jewish people. The Jewish people didn't want them there. They didn't want them in their country. Uh, they had a nation already, and Rome came and took it over, like it did many other um, nations in the Mediterranean at that time. Um, um, and to be a tax collector in Israel on behalf of the Romans um, – well, it didn't make you very popular, for sure, but it meant that you were a traitor. Like, you're a traitor to your nation and a traitor to your race, um, if that has any meaning anymore. And not only that, being a tax collector wasn't even an honest way to make a living. Right, it's one thing if you're a cobbler and you're making boots for the, for the Roman army because you don't have a choice. Uh, but a tax collector is a little bit different. Um, and, and what I mean is that Rome only cared that they got their share, right? Whatever the percentage was of um, wine or wheat or olives or oil or fish or the head tax or, or um, road tolls or anything like that, um, the Romans only wanted their percentage. And anything that the tax collectors collected or charged on top of that, 
that's how they made their living. So if the, if the tax was really $5 and the tax collector said it's $7, Rome gets their $5 and the tax collector gets the other two. Um, and you can imagine uh, you do that enough times and pretty soon your Honda turns into a Bentley. I mean, it, it's just... Um, so we have no record, biblically speaking, that Levi was dishonest in his work as a tax collector. Um, but it is clear from the text that he did have a large house, uh, that he could house a large party with a large company of other tax collectors um, gathered there. Uh, there's another account of a, of a tax collector that meets Jesus, uh, Zacchaeus, right? Uh, so for your flannel graph Sunday school stories, you remember the song of Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. And he climbed up in the sycamore tree to see what he could see. And as the Lord Jesus passed him by, he, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. And Zacchaeus, uh, after meeting the Lord, uh, paid back everyone that he defrauded all right, uh, um, and, and tried to make amends. Well, we don't have any record of that happening with Levi. Um, that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. We just don't know. And that's, that's okay. Um, but if you think about it, um, the, from our text here, the Pharisees, uh, they don't like the idea that Jesus and the disciples are eating with the tax collectors, that they're going to a tax collector's house and hanging out there. The Pharisees, to be honest, the Pharisees and their scribes had every right to hate the tax collectors. And they, the disciples that, that Jesus had already called, Peter and Andrew and James and John, they had the right to hate Levi. I mean, maybe hate's not the right word. But, but you, Buster, you make a living robbing our people. You work for the enemy. We don't like that. Okay? So hate's whatever. Use whatever vocabulary uh, works. But Jesus didn't hate Levi. That's the miracle. The miracle is grace. Did Levi deserve to be called by Jesus? No. Did he deserve to meet Jesus in person? No. What would you do to swap places with him? to see Jesus with your very own eyes and hear him call you up out of the tax booth to follow him. Not just believe in him, but stop what you're doing, come with me and stay with me and be part of our group. I want to I teach you, I want to show you the way. That's a miracle. Jesus called this man who is an example of being a traitor and made him an example of grace. And Jesus' call to this man um, wasn't based on his merits, for sure. I, I, he didn't add him to his band of followers because he had the right skill set. Like, you have the right gift mix, so we're going to plug you into this seat on the bus. This is where I'm going to use you the most. Right? It wasn't about skills. It wasn't about pedigree. Now, Levi, I'm sure, was good with money. He's a tax collector. You've got to kind of understand a little bit of math. But from the biblical record, was Levi the one that held the money bag? No, it was Judas. Great. 
It wasn't Levi. And just like Jesus had done for Simon, who he had renamed Peter, Jesus gave Levi a new name. He called him Matthew. Matthew, the gospel writer, is the same man. The name Matthew means gift of God. The word for that is grace. Matthew's name means grace of God. Matthew would go on to become a witness, a preacher, a gospel writer, a martyr, and a proof and example of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We should learn from his example because we are no different. And our calling to follow Jesus is no less miraculous than his. Ephesians chapter 2 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. That was Matthew. That was me. And that was you. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's Levi's story. That's our story. The same grace that is extended to Levi has been extended to us. And we should respond in the same way that Levi did, that Matthew did. What did he do? He celebrated. He threw a party. When Jesus called Levi to follow him, to leave, his, uh, leave behind his life of treachery and sin, he threw a party and invited all the people who were willing to associate with him. And who was that? Other tax collectors, because when you're a tax collector, those are the friends you can have. When was the last time you celebrated your salvation? Not just your birthday. Not just Christmas or Thanksgiving. Fourth of July. When was the last time you celebrated your salvation? Celebrated God's grace poured out in you? This should be our constant theme. As Christians, we should live a life of celebration, right? If we, if we can't just take a moment and, and grab onto that perspective that we were once dead and now by the grace of God we are alive through faith in Christ Jesus, if, we can't, if that does not put a smile on your face, 
Perhaps your face is broken. (laughs) This should be our constant theme. But not everybody in our passage this morning was celebrating. Verse 30 says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? John Calvin wrote, Hypocrites, being satisfied and intoxicated with a foolish confidence in their own righteousness, do not consider the purpose for which Christ was sent into the world, and do not acknowledge the depths of evils in which the human race is plunged, or the dreadful wrath and curse of God which lies on all, or the accumulated load of vices which weighs them down. The consequence is that they are too stupid to feel the miseries of men or to think of a remedy. While they flatter themselves, they cannot endure to be placed in their own rank and think that injustice is done them when they are classed with transgressors. You see why I like John Calvin? If you're a hypocrite, it's because you're too stupid to see reality of your own sin. See, the Pharisees believed in what R.C. Sproul called a salvation by segregation. As long as I don't associate with sinners, I am fine. I'm good. I'm not going to. My reputation will not be soiled by uh, rubbing elbows with those kind of people. And we all know those kind of people, don't we? Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Honestly, even now, uh, I have been tempted to draw uh, uh, a parallel in this story to my experience at the wedding yesterday because it would have been really easy to talk about all of the tax collectors and sinners that I was hanging out with at the wedding yesterday because there were a lot of Those people. (laughs) I am those people. And so are you. (laughs) These Pharisees, just like me, said to the disciples, you guys used to be respectable. I mean, You were lowly fishermen, to be sure, but at least you were respectable. And now you're hanging out with those dirtbags? What happened to you? Of course, they could not be more wrong, right? (laughs) When was the last time a religious person accused you of of the perception of evil because you spent so much time with unbelievers in Jesus' name? What can we do as a church family to upend the public perception of the church that seems to be the complete opposite of this party that Levi threw? Do you even really see the need of that? I said it last week. How many of your friends that you've invited to come to church say, no, the place would catch on fire if I walked in. Right? I'd be struck by lightning. The place would burn down. You know why they say that? It's not because they're afraid of God. It's because they're afraid of us. 
because we glow in the dark and they clearly don't. We all know that perception is wrong. But thinking it and doing something about it are two totally different things. When the Pharisees questioned the disciples about this questionable company that they were keeping, Jesus fired back with a very familiar quote. And it's one that we've all heard, I'm assuming, but I, I'm confident we haven't all completely understood. Verse 31, Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not call, come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You heard that before? Jesus is the great physician, right? We've, see, we've already seen that in our study in Luke, chapter 5. And maybe you've even experienced it in your own life. I know I have. Jesus' miraculous healing. He healed the leper. He healed the paralytic. He healed the soul of Levi. By faith in Jesus, he has healed the souls of countless others from our disease of sin. Jesus is the doctor that this world needs. People are sick with sin, and he is the only one with the cure because he himself is the cure. I think we get that. And I think we think that's what Jesus meant. And maybe he did. But every coin has two sides. We often understand this quip from Jesus as only referring to himself. But I think there's more to it than that. I think that Jesus is condemning the self-righteous attitude of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel. They were the teachers. They were the ones to instruct the people on what the law said and what the law meant. They were the ones who are supposed to shepherd God's chosen people and teach them to obey everything that he commanded. They had the cure for the disease of sin. Written in the scrolls of the law and the prophets. Jesus is on every page of scripture. Both the New and the Old Testament. The Pharisees had the Old Testament already. They had everything that everyone needed to know Messiah. They were physicians, but they refused to see any patients. In their zeal to keep themselves from being exposed to disease, they ignored those who needed care. Sam and I have been doing this uh, uh, outdoor emergency care class, right, to prepare to do ski patrol this winter. And we talk about uh, PPE, right, personal protective equipment. Of course, we just made it through a pandemic, so we all know about covering yourself with all kinds of stuff to keep other people's stuff off of you, right? The, the difference is when we put on personal protective equipment, it's so that we can have safe contact with other people. The Pharisees said, instead, you're diseased, get away from me. They're all about the quarantine. 
We are going to go into our safe little cloister over here. Keep away from us. We're going to keep away from you. We don't get sick, and we don't have to worry about what's going on with you. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Only instead of just hiding themselves, they're hiding the cure to the sickness. They are hiding Messiah from the people. Jesus basically said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You guys keep avoiding those who are sick and only spend time with those who are well. In short, you are useless. And your cures aren't helping anybody. Follow my example and help the sick. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. You have the cure. Go to those who are sick. Friends, we have the cure. We need to go to those who are sick. We need to be welcoming to those who are sick. The church can learn from this. We can follow Jesus' example and call sinners to repentance because like Levi, now Matthew, that's what we once were. And that took a miracle. And we can share that truth with those around us because nobody can argue with a changed life. Paul wrote in Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We have the cure. We know the truth. But we can't just sit on it. We have to bring it to those who are sick. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your spirit that interprets it for us. And pray that your message would take root in our hearts and would change our lives. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.